Hello, my name is Anna Keyes, and I'll be having a conversation with Carla Roldos for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is April 18th, 2018, and this is being recorded at Carla's apartment in Chelsea. Is this Chelsea? <coughs> it is. <clears throat> okay, so, um, could you tell me your name and age? Yeah, my name is Carla and I'm 60 years old. Can you tell me your gender pronouns? Her, she. And um, how would you describe your gender? Female. When and where were you born? I was born in 1957 in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico? Yes. And can you tell me the earliest encounter you had with the trans community? Uh, <clears throat> it was in 1971. Tell me about it. Well, <clears throat> living in Chelsea um, and growing up here, I remember the kids from the block and I, we would go walk down towards, we had a walk down towards Greenwich Village. There was a swimming pool there on Leroy Street. It's still there. And <clears throat> Walking back and forth, I realized um, then what, what the Greenwich Village was all about, and I would started seeing people that, you know, I could identify with. Um, but it wasn't until I started going to the village on my own that I met people, um, <clears throat> and then uh, that's how I got to meet, you know, uh, I met my first gay friend. He was a, a male. Uh, Spanish, and uh, he was hanging out with a white cis woman, and uh, Cindy and Philip. I still remember their names, and that was, wow, in 1971. And they introduced me to Christopher Street, which was at that time uh, uh, um, <clears throat> like a boulevard where there were many gay bars at the time. This was two years after Stonewall. And then I met many of the iconic people from that era. Um, like Sylvia Rivera, uh, Marsha P. Johnson. I knew them personally. Um, and uh, there was another person named Ballar uh, Rollerina, who was a very famous person. She'd walk around, uh, she'd roller skate up and down Christopher Street in a wedding gown, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Rollerina? Rollerina was her name, yeah. Um, oh. And she wore a wedding gown. And she had a wand with a star on it, like a fairy, and a mask. And she would just roll up and down Christopher Street, and everyone knew her, and people would stop and talk to her. And then, I don't know what happened to her, but then another rollerina took over when the, the original rollerina wasn't around anymore. I never knew what happened, why that happened, you know, why the first one wasn't around anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um... Yeah, it was a different time. It was, uh, I don't know how much of it was because I was 14 years old at the time and everything was like so, I was so starstruck um, and starry-eyed. Um, at the same time, it was a different era. There was always somewhere to go um, and places to break night, and there was always a friend's house you could stay over the night after the bars closed and stay up till the wee hours of the morning and all that stuff. Um, so uh, I was introduced to this man who um, had access to female hormone injections. And when was this? This was back in 1973 that I met him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, his name was Jimmy Treetop, but that's not his real name anyhow. But a lot of the girls would go to him, um, and if you had the money to pay for an injection, you paid for it. If not, you could barter for sex. Um, so that's how I became, uh, <clears throat> how I was introduced to hormones. So I started at a very early age, and uh, 
I didn't ask anyone's permission. I just did it on my own. And um, I'm glad I did it at that age because, you know, I stopped the process during adolescence. I didn't grow a beard. I didn't, you know, I, all of those things. So um, <clears throat> that worked out a lot in my favor. Um, and so then I got to introduce to, there was a bar in Midtown called the Gilded Grape, which was a bar for trans women and uh, the men who liked trans women. Um, some gay men hung out there. And uh, <clears throat> I met uh, not my first boyfriend, my second boyfriend. And the reason I say it is because uh, I miss him a lot. I still think about him, and uh, we weren't together that long, but... What was I, his name? It's, I don't know if I can say Oh, oh, never mind. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That's okay. His name started with M, um, and he was very sweet. But I was so young and foolish at the time, and I was seeing another guy before M, uh, and he was a real jerk, and... I don't know why then, I guess it was my low self-esteem at the time. I went, I stayed with the first one and left M, um, and I regret it till this day. Um, and then I stayed with the first one for four years, and that turned out to be a very violent relationship. And if it wasn't that he had gone to jail, I, I don't know, I can say if I would, even if I would be alive today, um, because I went through a lot of horror, horrible things with him, anyhow. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> then I brought, I'm bringing it back up to the 80s now, during the disco era. Um, we went from the first bar, The Gilded Grape, to another one owned by the second people, which was called Gigi Barnum Room. And it was cool. I worked there as a waitress, and they had two sections. There was one section was just where they did drag shows, and the other section was this huge room. It was the lobby of the old... Uh, Peppermint Lounge or the hotel or something like that, and they had trapezes up there. There was a, uh, a net, and some of the people worked there um, doing trapeze acts, not flying and catching like you see in the circus, but like single trapeze. And so I did it for a week because one of the girls was, was away on vacation, and so I, I took a couple of practice classes from one of the girls, and I did it for a week. It was a lot of fun. but. Um, then I went back to waitressing. However, <clears throat> at that time I started going to beauty school and I couldn't do the night job and then get up in the morning to go to beauty school. Um, so I had to leave the bar at the job and I continued and graduated from beauty school. Got my hairdresser's license um, in 79 and uh, Worked for several years, yeah, in the village, cutting hair. Um, and I have to go back to 1972. Um, I met a trans woman, her name was Jackie, and she was an incredible woman. She was like a mentor and a mother to me. <clears throat> when I met her, I was 15 and she was 30. Um, she used to work back in the 60s in Baltimore as a stripper and people did not know. And she used to tell me her stories and she showed me her pictures, um, uh, how very dangerous it was for her because the mob owned those places, the stripping clubs in Baltimore. And um, had they found out, she was telling me they probably would have found her in pieces, you know. Um, oh so she said that it was one incident once where her G-string broke and she was able to get away with what she got away with. Um, you know, she was very, she quick, very quickly thought about it. But she knew so many things. Like, she was a really intelligent person. But she was also, like, ahead of her time. Um, <clears throat> she was just so real looking, and her voice was incredibly feminine. She used to sing, uh, even before she transitioned, she used to sing on a cruise ship um, as a male. And then um, when she went and became, <clears throat> she transitioned at the age of 17 and moved to New York, then she started working as a female. And uh, from Baltimore then to New York, 
and then uh, she got different jobs afterwards after she stopped stripping um, because then peep shows came around and then people weren't having like you, you didn't see that many striptease places and all that anymore you know legit striptease uh, it was all now peep shows and porno places and all that so she worked uh, Jackie um, she worked uh, doing coat checks and bars um, and she also worked uh, doing the accounting books for her landlord um, and then uh, she refused to be you know become involved in the sex work industry so she moved to Florida because uh, she couldn't afford she had to give up her apartment a beautiful garden apartment on Christopher Street and um, <clears throat> She moved to Florida and I hadn't seen her for many years. Then we reunited. She came back to New York in 83. And uh, she stayed with us and my family for a year. And then uh, she had to move out. Um, got a, a studio here in Chelsea. And after six months, she had to wind up going back to uh, Miami. And the last I heard, you know, we wrote a couple of times and then I didn't hear from Jackie anymore and then I found out years later on that she's, she's passed away uh, from the virus. Oh. Yeah. I still have many pictures of her. Oh, God. relationship mean to you? It mean, it meant so much to me. It still does. I often think of her. Um, what a very special person she was. Um, it was, it's hard to describe. She's, it's almost like I, I looked up to her so much and the things that she did, the things she spoke about, um, how she uh, didn't, you know, didn't feel the need to have all the silicone and, and she just took hormones and she didn't paint her face every day. She was a natural, you know, and because I was young at the time too, I didn't need any of that stuff. So I dressed like her. I emulated her so much. That's how much I liked her. Yeah. I even found myself talking like her. My mannerisms became like hers, you know, yeah. Even till this day, sometimes when I speak, I, I can hear myself speaking as if, you know, Jackie were here. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was, I and, miss her. I and what do you her. think about, in that sense, like, the mother figures and the family roles that we find outside of our families of origin as, like, trans people? As trans people, well, <clears throat> you know, in in... In our culture, let me put it this way, um, we have a, we, what, what is known as gay mothers. Um, and a lot of trans women, when they start out, they become close to a woman who's already transitioned um, and kind of like mentors them. Or some people's definition of a gay mother can be the person who, the other trans woman who gives you your first hormone injection. Um, but usually it's known as someone that you look up to, you admire, um, and has helped you out in your transition, or even if you've already transitioned, and yeah. Have you so. been able to be someone's gay mother? Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Um, <clears throat> her name was Eddie when I met her, um, and uh, <clears throat> I immediately took a little liking to her, and uh, yeah, I, just, I plucked her eyebrows for the first time. <laughs> I gave her a hormone shot, and <clears throat> she would borrow my clothes. Um, she was a young runaway, uh, and then she became Athena, um, and we were friends for many, many years, uh, and she passed away two years ago, unfortunately, um, and I was uh, with her during those days uh, when she got admitted into the emergency room. Um, and. She didn't know the levity or the gravity of um, how bad she was off uh, as far as her disease, how much it progressed. But 
Yeah, I was with her till the end. Um, she passed away at home. She had signed out of the hospital. Um, I had called her to say, I'm coming to visit you, but she told me I'm home. I signed out against medical orders. And then I found out within the week that she had died. She was taking a shower and she died in the bathroom. They found her, family found her. Yeah, um, yeah. And then a couple of months later, um, another best friend, her name was Carla as well. We were friends for 35 years. Um, during that same time, like two or three months apart, Carla also died. So I lost two great people, very significant people in my life, several months apart. And it tore me up because I knew them both for more than 30 years. Yeah. And this is maybe a question that no one can answer, but like what, how, how do you cope with that, like that, those deaths and that passing? With those two people, um, <clears throat> there were several times I found myself drinking. Um, not till I fell out, not that bad, but yeah. And then I, I, I sought counseling with a professional and, and shared my feelings with other trans women, um, mutual trans women that, that, who knew both of them and I. Yeah. Where would you go for counseling? I go to a place called, um, it's in uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. Mm-hmm. Do you still go there? I still do go there. Okay, sure. All right, um, let me just, just want a picture. Yes. Can you, um... Just talk? Yeah. Yeah, so, um... Sounds good. Okay. Okay. So, I was asking, do you still go to Mount Sinai for service? For I do. I do. Um, it's uh, an outpatient rehab. I'm in recovery um, from uh, alcohol and drugs. Um, and... Uh, I first went into recovery and into Narcotics Anonymous, the 12-step meetings. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that because it's supposed oh. to be anonymous. Do you want, we can stop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyhow, so, um, yeah, I sought help at the LGBT Center, um, and then um, I got straightened out, and I applied for nursing school. Uh, got my nurse's license, and uh, during nursing school, I was volunteering at a volunteer, at, it was an all-volunteer clinic that they had at the Gay and Lesbian Community Center uh, on 13th Street. And uh, while I was in school, I would volunteer there once a week, and I got a lot of experience. Um, and then <clears throat> they got enough funding to move here into Chelsea on 18th Street, and it's a clinic now called Callan Lord. I was the first nurse they hired. I was also the first trans woman they hired. Um, and I worked with them for two years. And then I went and sought employment at Housing Works. I was a nurse there here in Chelsea when Housing Works was located on 13th Street, West 13th Street. Um, worked there, I did drug counseling, I did nursing. I did case management for the clients at Housing Works. And then I went back to Callan Lord for another two years. Yeah, and then um, I got sick. Uh, I had to have a liver transplant. And um, it's been 10 years now that I've had a liver transplant. And in order for me to get the transplant, my doctor had to, re you know, I, I had to retire from work. So I couldn't work anymore uh, around sick people as a nurse. <clears throat> I see. 
So, yeah, um, now I can get my license back if I want to, uh, because there's so many disciplines of nursing. Now you, you don't always have to work around sick people. Um, but I want my license back only because uh, I want to have it, even if I don't seek employment. Um, it's something I worked hard for, and I love being a nurse. I became a nurse because when I was 13 years old, um, I was locked up in a psych ward. My family didn't know how to deal with me because I was coming out as trans at that age. And so I was put in a psych ward. Um, and uh, Where was that? That was at St. Vincent's Hospital when it was located in the village. It's no longer around. I stood there for a month. Um, and I met this fabulous nurse. Um, and she was so nice. She wouldn't even take me out. Um, to for ice cream or something, even though I was impatient, but uh, she took me out a couple of times and let me know that there was really nothing wrong with me, that I was okay. It was just society who had a problem with me, you know. So she stuck out in my mind so much, and I always remember her. I can see her face right now as I'm talking to you. And I met Irene in 1972, um, and. It's because of her I, that I became a nurse. I liked being a nurse. Yeah, I still like it. Um, during the 80s, uh, it was back in 86, um, the peep shows used to have um, trans women working with cis women um, in the peep shows. Uh, and it caused some trouble and some rift. Um, this company owned like five peep shows around mid the Midtown area. So they terminated all the trans women. And then about a year later, I get a call because I had also been doing part-time manager. I would work in the peep shows and I did part-time management um, where the cis women and the trans women worked. And then, uh, so then I stopped working as well, and then they called me up a year later and asked me if I was interested in being the manager of one of the, just for one of the stores with, with just all trans women. So I said, of course. Um, and this was a place that was kind of out of the way, and they were dying. Like, there were no customers there because I don't know what it was. So um, I got together with my girlfriend, Carla, the one who passed away, and her and I started together. We started calling all the girls we knew, and little by little, word of mouth came, and we had more girls than we needed. Um, we had 15 girls working per shift, and it was two shifts a day. Carla and I would rotate um, as far as shifts. One week I'd do days, following week she'd do days, and then when I did days, she did nights, and vice versa. Um, and at Where that was this? on 42nd Street uh, between 8th and 7th, closer to 8th. And at that time, there was a bar called Sally's around the corner. So after we'd get out of work, we'd go and hang out at mm -hmm. Sally's. Do you remember, did the name that Peach Show place have a name? Or? Yes, it did. Um, it was Show Center. Show Center. Yeah, and I was the main manager, and Carla was my assistant manager. And we needed another manager for the weekends as well. So we had three, there were three of us, all trans women. And for a place that was going to only making $150 a day, we were making $1,500 a shift. <laughs> because you got to remember, you know, how many millions of men are there in New York? And let's say <laughs> you only have maybe 3,000 of them who are into trans women. Well, it worked out fine. And... They never regretted it, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, then so you um, had Monopoly. On the, right, yeah. right, exactly. So um, I had asked them, because now I was working on the books, and if they would give me insurance um, <clears throat> so that I could save up the money for my SRS. Um, and they said, we'll, we'll let you know in six months, after working there for six months. And when I went to see them in six months, um, they said that they couldn't uh, give me health insurance. So I just saved up the money on my own. This is how I was able to get my SRS. I met uh, one of the girls who came to visit and that we became friends and she had just uh, been post-op a month only. 
and uh, she introduced me to a doctor in Brooklyn who was doing it very cheaply uh, and uh, Medicaid paid for the other half. Uh, and so I was able to get it for $3,800. $3,000 for him for the surgery, $500 for the anesthesiologist, and $300 for a one-time visit with a psychiatrist so that he would have, the surgeon would have, you know, in case he needed. Um, but I had already been transitioned since I was 14. I was 28 now mm. when I had gotten my SRS. And during those 14 years, you mentioned how you first kind of were able to get get um, get HRT. How, how did you get over the course of that time and after that too? How was I able to get them, you mean? Get estrogen, get, like, get a hold of estrogen. Um, well, there were people, like, like I said, there was that man who's, there was that one man who was selling them. Then there were several doctors you could go to. There was at one time in the 70s, um, I was in what they called the therapeutic community. Here in Chelsea, it was called Compass House. It was a small therapeutic community. Um, and they hooked us up with a clinic at Lutheran Hospital in Brooklyn, and they would take us every two weeks. And we got injections, and I was a minor then, but I was like an emancipated minor because I was living there, I was 17, mm. and so I didn't need my parents' permission. Com can you tell me more about Compass House? Compass House was, back in the 70s, they started these places called um, therapeutic communities, like Project Return and Samaritan House and all these villages. Some of them are still around. Um, and Compass House was unique in that, at that time, it was for gay LGBT people, not exclusively because there were cis people, heterosexual people, there was, you know, as well. Um, but if you were a trans woman, you had to, you, there were three small buildings. One building was male, in the middle of the building was mostly administration, and then the other, the other building was all female. And in the female building, if you were a trans woman, you lived there, and then uh, you were mixed in with cis women as well. So they didn't make you go on the men's side? No, 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 they didn't. And they hooked us up at Lutheran Hospital to get our female hormones, and the counselors, there were a lot of the counselors who were lesbian women, gay men that worked there. It was the only clinic of its kind. And they stayed there for, I think, no more than 10 years. Um, I was there from 72 to 75. Yeah. Um, Do you remember any of the relationships you had with other people that were there? Oh yes, I have friends. I still have pictures. I had friends. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's one friend that I still keep in touch with today. Uh, it was so weird how we got in touch with each other, um, but we somehow got connected and we talk on Facebook. Her and I. Do you have any memories of that time that you'd like to sure. share? Sure. Um, there were. Um, I remember that there were a lot of the lesbian women would flirt with us, some of us, some of them, yeah. Um, it was one who was very aggressive, uh, and we dated for a while. We never did anything, um, you know, uh, it was totally platonic, but we made out. Yeah. And she looked like a little Puerto Rican boy to me, you know, and she would buy me things like um, lipsticks and things like that. She didn't live there. Um, she wasn't an inpatient, but she came every day to, uh, because we had groups there and, and it, it was a really nice place. And there were a lot of minors there and, you know, some adults, but it was a great place. And uh, I wasn't the only one who had a kind of relationship like that. It was, mm -hmm. it was sweet and fun because we were teenagers. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, you mentioned some other relationships with trans women you've had over time, and I'd like to also just hear any specific memories. Like um, when I was talking to um, Sonia, she mentioned when you had 
at one point gone out in a park and painted makeup onto like a frog or something? Yeah, uh, we had <laughs> we we had been out partying, um, and we wound up after the bar closed. A bunch of us went to a park, one of the New York City public parks, and they had um, like these cement fountains of different animals. There was a turtle and there was one like a seal. And Sonia was so drunk that um, she said, let me borrow your lipstick. So and I found it weird, like she had lipstick on. <laughs> so she took my lipstick and she started drawing lips on the seal, which was really a water fountain, but it was a seal. <laughs> and uh, to this day, she owes me a lipstick, the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we had a lot of fun, her and I, but um, I have a lot of fun memories of things. Uh, we did a lot of crazy things. Another time, it was my birthday, and we had stayed out when we went to an after hours. And then it, this was in the Bronx, and um, we were going back to her house to sleep the, the night off. It was already like six o'clock in the morning. And as we're walking from this bar to Sonia's house in the Bronx, I hear a rooster. <laughs> and I said to myself, am I that drunk? I said to my girlfriend, Sonia, she goes by the name Chicky, by the way, and I go by the name, I, I went by the name China for many, many years. My old friends still call me China. I went by that name since from 1971 till uh, a couple of years ago. Some people still call me China, um, even members of my family. But legally, my name is Carla. Um, and uh, she, uh, so I said to her, I said, Chicky, I hear a rooster. Are we that drunk? She started laughing and she couldn't stop laughing. And it took me a while to get her to tell me that in the Bronx, there were some people, Puerto Ricans, who had like little small private houses and they had roosters and chickens. Like I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so it was just so strange to be, you know, in New York City, but I guess it's not strange in that area in that part of town in the Bronx. Um, my girlfriend's from Forest Hills, Queens, and there's somebody on her, near her block, that has chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I met a bartender many years ago. He was so, so fabulous. His name was Buddha. And Buddha used to own um, a peacock. <laughs> and eventually he had to get rid of the peacock in Queens um, because peacocks make a lot of noise. Oh, I didn't even know. Oh yeah, they make this horrible noise because um, I've seen them, you know. Mm. I went to a circus one time in Puerto Rico and there was a man who had a whole bunch of them. He had, he had them trained and they make this horrible sound. They were beautiful though because they were all white mm. and had these beautiful like diamond rhinestone collars on them. Oh, they were exquisite animals, yeah. Tell me more about um, your memories of Puerto Rico, maybe you there, what, since you, when, around the time you were born in your earlier years there, or maybe more so when you visited back? Well, when I came from Puerto Rico, when my family moved here from Puerto Rico, I was three years old at the time. I do remember two incidents before we moved to New York. Um, so that, I don't know if I was two years old, three years old, uh, the only reason I remember them was because they were painful. One was, I remember a bee stinging me. I was trying to grab an egg from, from a hen or something like that. And I remember being stung by a bee. And then another time, my brothers, I have two older brothers, um, they were teasing my great-grandmother. And she got mad at them and she had a mango pit in her hand and because she was very old then, she went and threw the mango pit at one of the other two guys because I was the smallest. I was just sitting on the plane, I'm sure, with dirt and rocks, minding my own business. Um, <laughs> and I got hit with that mango pit. I remember that to this day. And I didn't bring that up years later on and my grandmother was able to verify. She said, 
my God, how can you remember that? You were only three when that happened. <laughs> it was her mother who did it, and she remembers the incident as well. So um, I attribute that to, I have a great memory. Um, to this day, I can tell you um, conversations I've had with people, what they wore on that day. Mm. Uh, my gay mother, Jackie, I can tell you the first thing she ever said to me when she came up and introduced herself to me. I was sitting in a restaurant called Mama's Place on 7th Avenue South. Uh, and that was a restaurant where people went after all the gay bars closed, like at 4 o'clock. And it was a diner, and everybody went there. There was also another diner called the Silver Dollar Restaurant. It was another place where people went and hung out in the early 70s after they came out the bar. And it was a place, it, 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 the only thing, I mean, it was like a gay bar, only they didn't serve drinks. But someone was always there you knew, you know. Uh, and I was sitting there with my ex, and Jackie came over. I didn't know her either. I had seen her. And she came over to me, and she said, what a face you have. She said, if I had your face, I would rule half the world. And that really stuck with me. Like, <laughs> so she introduced herself, and I introduced myself that day, on that day, and then later on we got to meet more and more, and then we hung out more and more. And then she would invite me to her apartment, she had two roommates, two other trans women, um, and we'd be at her house every day. What do you yeah. think it means for trans women to live with each other? Do you, do you think that gives them... Support? A lot of support, sure, sure, sure. Um, we get to, I mean, I've lived with other trans women, other trans women have lived with me, even in my family's house, you know. Uh, several girls have lived with us during the years, throughout the years. Um, one, I remember she came from Puerto Rico and uh, she had nowhere really to go. Uh, I brought her to my house and my family took a good liking to her. She stayed with us, she lived with us. Um, and another, yeah, several women have lived with us uh, for X amount of time, including my gay mom, Jackie. She lived with us for an entire year. Wow. Yeah, but I loved it because it's, it's good, it's supportive, um, and you can have a, a, you know, like a girlfriend relationship, a roommate relationship with another girl, things you can share. Um, talk about relationships and what trans women go through. Mm -hmm. you know, share our experiences. Um, so, um, just to kind of back up a little bit, um, who do you feel have been the most important people in your life? Who do I feel have been? Uh, I will say four people that I can tell you that really have been very important in my life. No, I would say there are more, but uh, during my earlier years, I would say it began with Jackie, who was my gay mom. Um, of course, my family is my mother is very important to me, number one, throughout my whole life. We still live together. Uh, but outside of my immediate family, um, my sister is the second one. Um, her and I are very close to this day. Uh, outside of my biological family, I would start with Jackie, who's my gay mom, who I met in 1972. Um, <clears throat> and then I met Carla. We were friends till she passed away a couple of years ago. We became friends in the early 80s. And Athena and I were also very close during the late 70s uh, until she became Athena. When we met, she was little Eddie. Um, and our friendships, all those friendships lasted for many, many years. Um, and then uh, Sonia and I, we knew each other from seeing each other, even from the, all the bars in the early 70s. We weren't friends, we didn't hang out with each other but we knew each other from sight. And then it was in 1996, 
when I graduated from nursing school, Sonia started hanging out at Sally's too, and so did I. And her and I, we just clicked. So we became very good friends. Mm -hmm. She started calling me all the time. I started calling her. Uh, we would meet. Uh, sometimes I'd go to her house. Sometimes um, she'd come visit me. And then she met my family. My mother loves her. Um, and I've known her for many, many years. Um, and we're still friends. Do you have any um, mem memories of Sally's? Oh God, <laughs> yeah. The first Sally's was um, a small, uh, very tiny bar. It was Sally's one, and it was located on Forty Third Street, um, and it was similar to the Gilded Grape. Where it was a bar for all trans women. They had shows there. The guys that liked the trans women, the girls, they would go there. Um, some of them were like boyfriends, some of them were like Johns, because Chinese chasers would go there too to spend money on the girls and, you know, date them. So, um, and then, I don't know what happened, they lost their lease or something like that. Um, I think the owner passed away. No, the owner did not pass away, I'm sorry. His name was Sal, that's why it was called Sally's, uh, who's a gay man. And the first Sally's closed, I, I don't know why, but they moved over next door to a place that was bigger, that was owned by these Asian people, and they let us take over. It was a huge place. They had a stage there, they had a circular bar, they had like a VIP lounge upstairs separately. Um, and so Sal uh, asked them if we could bring our business to their place, because. They were dying. They, they were not getting any business at all. So that's what we did. And then we all started hanging out at Sally's too until uh, then uh, that was when mayor, I don't remember which mayor it was, but they changed 42nd Street um, from what it used to be, which was a lot of movie theaters, um, a lot of porno shops, uh, it was a different, totally different crowd, um, and all the porno shops were closed, after, and so were the bathhouses after the AIDS um, epidemic came out, um, and so they closed a lot of these, these businesses on 42nd Street um, and Times Square. They cleaned it out, and now if you go there, it's very family-oriented with Disney stores and those type of places now. It, it, it's horrible. It, to me, it looks like with all these lights and everything, it's just so tourist trappy to me. It doesn't have the same feel as the old Times Square. Now that was really a good place to hang out with. <laughs> a lot of different characters. I mean, if, if I were to draw them in cartoons, I would draw the pimps. I'd paint them as ravens and, and the police. I'd paint them as pigs. And the trans women and, 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 and the other cis women that, that were hookers, I draw them and paint them as cats. And oh, it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. And with that economic change brought on by like the mayor at the time, mm -hmm. do, do you feel like we've lost spaces? To we've lost a lot of places, yeah, because. Um, all the bars, they were mainly all in, in Midtown Manhattan, and uh, there was, when they closed Sally's, uh, there was nowhere really for the girls to go, and, and, unless they we were willing to go to Queens where they had some bars, but you know, where Manhattan was concerned, no, there was nowhere else to go. So um, the girls who needed to make money and uh, weren't willing to work on the streets, um, they were working in the ads, um, newspaper ads, you know, to build up their clientele to meet them. What do you feel like the effect has been on the community, like with this loss of space? It's sad because, like, there's nowhere to go if you just want to go to a bar, even in the daytime, and just chill out for it and have a couple of drinks with someone, you know, it has to be, the only place that I know of that trans women get together are these 
special parties that they have at these places that I don't even know if they sell drinks there or not. Um, but they're mostly based on like to attract men and make money. Mm-hmm. It's not like you go to a bar bar, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, so how do you feel about this current time of trans people being more visible? Well, it certainly is a big change from when I started. Um, trans women, unless you were really, really like, no one can tell, you had to be very, what they call, real looking. Um, uh, and unless you got spooked, which means, spook is just another word um, in, in a trans culture that means someone knows that you're trans, they can tell that you're transgender, no matter how pretty you may be, or that it's known. Um, so unless you were very lucky and, and no one could tell, then you were able to work somewhere and get employment if you got hired. But for the most part, there were not many. Like now, then, you know, in, in the late 90s and 2000s, now you see trans women working on a lot of places. Yeah. Um, just to go back for a second, you know, when you were listening out those important people in your life, you mentioned your mother, who you still yes. live with. Yeah. How has your relationship with her evolved over time? It's gotten closer now because now it's just her and I. Um, our, our roles have reversed in a way where um, I'm more caretaker um, and she's older now, so um, I watch out for her more. I do things for her that she was able to do. Um, uh, and she still can. She's very active. She's not bedridden. Uh, she goes to the senior community center every day um, and hangs, spends the day there, has her meals there, and then comes home in the evening and we share time together on the weekends. Um, I'll make breakfast and we have breakfast together. She goes to mass every Sunday. Um, and I think I do things for her, like, you know, dry her hair, I do her nails. Kind of like, yeah, that's how our relationship is, mother and daughter. And to bridge to maybe some other kinds of relationships, um, we were talking a little earlier about some romantic relationships that you've had in your life. Uh-huh. Can you talk to me a bit about that? I've had several romantic relationships. Um, the first, like I said, was turned out to be a horrible relationship with this very violent man. Uh, he, uh, I didn't know really that, that he was um, addicted to drugs and when he didn't have them, he became very violent um, and I was the brunt of that. I was the, yeah, I would get the brunt of that um, <clears throat> until I, then I myself was introduced into the drug scene. Um, <clears throat> But then we broke up and I saw several guys um, who weren't in my life for very long, but they were very meaningful. Um, two of them that I can say, uh, one is M, I spoke about him before. Um, there was another one named V, he was Russian, M was Italian, uh, and V was really nice. He took me places and, and we'd go out to the movies, we'd go to the bars. Out and just hang out together, and we'd spend the night. You know, it was such a gentleman. They were both gentlemen; they really were. And I just felt so. With them, I felt so in place. Like you know, there was never any issue about it. It it, it felt like it felt like a just a an average boyfriend girlfriend. Uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I've always seen myself as a girl. Um, even when I was a kid, uh, I remember one day, I must have been seven years old, um, and I remember it being in my room and um, Praying to God, and, and this was before I even know that, and even knew that that people transitioned, 
and to the, an opposite sex. I didn't know about Christine Jorgensen. I'm talking about the 60s now here. I had never heard about Christine Jorgensen, but I remember asking God if that were going to be, if that were ever possible for me, if he could make me a girl, would he do it, mm -hmm. you know? And back in the, in the early 70s, when uh, the, the word transgender did not exist, we were queens. You know, we used to call each other queens, or that drag queen, or, or you know, and um, <clears throat> we referred to each other sometimes as dykes, and you know, that's the way it was back then, in the early 70s. And people weren't partners, they were either boyfriend and girlfriends, or lover, that's my, this is my lover, you know. Um, today everyone is, you know, they call each other partners, and significant others and all that. It just, to this day, I can't see my, I don't, I can't call anyone my partner. They have, they're just be my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, what would you say? I'd like to yeah, say that sure. the men that I've been with have all been men that were with women, um, Cis women or trans women. I did not go out with gay men or men who were attracted to other men. That was, no. Because, um, and here's the thing, that I knew that I was female before I knew that I was transgender. I mean, I'm sorry, that didn't make sense. They have crossed that out, please. <laughs> I mean, I knew that I was female, I was female within before I knew I was attracted to men. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the difference between gender and sexual orientation. Yes. Yeah, I just want to pause for a second. So you're, you're saying about your involvement with the um, Gender Identity Project? Yeah, that was uh, back in the early 90s. Um, it was run by Dr. Barbara Warren, who works now for Mount Sinai. Um, and it was a group of volunteers um, of trans women, um, and we would have meetings uh, once, twice a week, actually. Um, and uh, it was called STA, Survivors of Transgender Anonymous. Um, and it was run kind of like a 12-step thing. Um, and then the guys, the trans men, they had their own group. Um, our group was open. Um, anyone could just walk in. Uh, the men's group was a closed group. Um, you just couldn't walk in there. Um, you had to be, you know, a trans man. You had to be, you know, registered for it or whatever. Barbara Warren ran that group, and then um, I got involved and I started running groups. Um, I was doing a group a week and I was running it with a trans man, um, and we were co-facilitating the group. It was like for an hour and a half we'd have a group, and we we do it every week and then we had different, him and I, we put our heads together and we made, we picked a topic for each week. Um, it wasn't like we had to stick to that topic, but you know, uh, things concerning trans, our lives, dating, legalities, all of those things, you know, mm -hmm. name changes, uh, dating, you know, early transition because we had people who went there who hadn't even transitioned yet. Either way, um, they were very curious. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, um, what's my question? To speak a little to how you've gotten by economically over time. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned a few different things. You mentioned being a manager at the show center. The you mentioned. Show. With the peep shows, um, and was I, I, I worked in bars as well as a waitress, mm -hmm. and I also worked in a bar um, as a coat checker. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I, don't know I worked as a hairdresser at one time mm -hmm. uh, in Greenwich Village. Um, yeah. And um, I once worked at a little clothing boutique in Greenwich Village for a couple of weeks. And that was it. 
Mm-hmm. On the other times, I was just, I had to live on public assistance at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, how, how do you think, we, we were talking a little about this, but just like, how do you think the, the communities you've been a part of here have changed over time? Well, there are a lot of more places that, especially for the young trans people, I mean, today, young trans people are even going to high school, you know, in their chosen gender, and what they, you know, in the, ch- the gender that they feel they are. Um, and like the Hetrick Martin Institute is, 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 is a high school, really, um, that it's for LGBT, you know, students. Um, and, uh, there's just a lot of more, more resources and places to go uh, to get together um, in the trans community that did not exist throughout the 70s at all. Mm-hmm. At all. What um, mm-hmm. aspect were you We saying? were, as in fact, it was a time when none of the gay bars in the village wanted the girls um, to go into the gay men bars. Uh, they barred us from going in there. Really? Yeah, they didn't want us in there. So we've experienced uh, prejudice and discrimination within the LGBT community. I mean, yeah. Do you still feel that there's a rift at all? Oh, uh, sure, sure. Yeah. There is a rift. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, I felt it from the gay male community, um, and. Uh, from some lesbian women, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, just all, how how do you what does that rift look like now? Like, how has it changed over time? Is it more subtle? I think it's much more subtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you still have people who, well, you know, discrimination now is is, is you know, embedding being political correct is. Uh, a big thing now that you know you can't get away with discriminating as easily as before. Sure. You know. Um. So, what has been like the hardest thing about living here? I would say the hardest thing in New York um, years ago was employment. Um, now, um, I'm not sure, I can't, I mean, things have gotten much better, but they're not perfect either. Um, there is much more, uh, medical, there are places to go for medical help, medical advice, uh, medical treatment, um, counseling than existed way before um, during in the 70s and part of the beginning of the 80s. Um, things started changing a lot in the late 80s and 90s. As far as organizations and, and a lot of these uh, nonprofit organizations are concerned. What, um, what like aspects of the trans community do you want remembered um, that you think might fade from like the uh, the one thing is um, the glamour that I remember experiencing, seeing when I for, for especially in the seventies, um, where they would have things like drag shows, um, and most of the women who did them were trans women. It wasn't like you know men who were just getting dressed up. Every now and then you had, you know men who did that, you know, for fun or whatever. But, and there was so much time and effort put into these things like they called balls. A ball was sort of kind of like a beauty contest. Uh, and they had different categories and they gave out different trophies for different categories. Um, as in the film, uh, you can see that in the movie Paris is Burning. Whom I know, every, I know, I know everybody in there. I know everyone in there. Mm-hmm. One of the women in there who um, mm-hmm. is post-op, I had taken her to her doctor. Um, 
just after I had gotten my surgery. Who is that? Um, I'm not at liberty oh, to okay. say her That's, name. Okay, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm sorry I keep asking you those kind of questions. It's okay. Um, yeah, that's fine. Um, I mean, if you watch the film and you listen, it, it's not hard to tell. She even talks about it, but... Okay. Yeah. She's doing great, I understand. She lives in another state, and she's working as a nurse. I'm very proud of her. Um, have you... Um, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but have you ever experienced homelessness here? I've never. Not me. No, I didn't have... The times I left my home was because I wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, but my parents never kicked me out of my house at mm -hmm. all. No. Um, have you had any experiences with mental health and mental illness? I've, yeah, I've suffered from depression. I still do. Um, I take antidepressants. Um, I was, um, I've been admitted to psych wards like two times. So, um, what do you feel are your everyday safety concerns? Do you have any? Sure I do. Um, Especially with this current administration, this government that we have, where there's so much hate and dissension, um, not, am not just amongst races, but amongst um, the LGBT community. Um, you know, there are laws now where you can't use the bathroom in some states. Those things didn't exist before. Um, and, yeah, I, the only thing that scares me is um, if I go into a neighborhood um, that could be dangerous or bump into a bunch of guys that are drunk and rowdy or something like that and, you know, that sort of stuff. But, um, but it's only been since this government has been in place that, that I, I've never in my life really felt scared, ever. Either because I was able to pass when people didn't know, like walking through the streets and I was in a two-glance girl where, you know, people looked and said, wait, is that, you know. Um, I think I'm a two-glance girl. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not to say that I haven't been spooked, because I have, and, and I attribute that to my voice. I know it's my voice. Yes. Yeah. But you have to also remember, New York City is a place, it's a city where people are very um, sophisticated, you know. People know, a lot of people in New York, you know, know what the, what the trans people are, and, yeah. Um, what, um, what have been, besides maybe, um, your family members and those friends that are closest to you, what have been some important sources of support for you over time, over the years? Other family members, um, other like nonprofit agencies that you know offered uh, counseling, especially um, I would say in the last 15, 20 years, um, like at the LGBT Center, the Gender Identity Project. Um, yeah. So I think we're kind of close to like wrapping up. Mm -hmm. So. Um, for some kind of like final questions, um, if you wanted people to hear one thing from you, what would that be? It would be that what I've learned, it's that it's cost me a lot to be my true self in many ways. Um, but I know that there's no other way I could have lived my life and be true to myself and be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah. If you um, wanted to be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I would want to be remembered as a trans woman who was able to seek jobs for other trans women 
helped them, you know, get jobs. Uh, and that I was able to help younger people, younger trans people, um, and have been a pioneer in many things um, as a nurse, um, as a, even as a student, a trans student. Um, I made them change uh, the name of the, it was just called the, L, the LG Club. It was not even a B and a T in it. But when I joined that club in, the co in college, I made sure that the T was added. Mm. It's because of me that Borough Community College, Manhattan Community College, yeah, Manhattan Community College has an LGBT and LGBT. Mm -hmm. I changed that. Nice. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to add? No, not that I can think of. Okay. But thank you for the interview. Yeah, of course. It was really fun. Thank you.